Jake, I uh, yesterday, yeah, yesterday they did bottling, and then I usually do tastings of different stuff uh, after bottling. Mm-hmm. And one of the owners at Whiskey Acres had a bottle of Old Fitzgerald that was bottled in 1970, distilled wow. in '62. How was that? Uh, easily top ten, possibly top five. Yeah. It was because I, I knew I had before when I came in. I saw someone was bringing, bringing in a bottle of Stag, so I knew. And there was a Blue Note store pick that I know people were talking about, and something else. And Rob just brought me out a Glen Karen, and he's like, "What do you think of this?" And I kind of gave him some of my nosing and, and tasting notes, and it was one of those. Jake thought it was a bad thing when I because I told Julia I said it almost finished like water, but it was like the flavor stayed with you, and then it was just. As soon as it was down the hatch, you were ready for the next sip. It was unbelievable. Yeah. That sounds good. Back from Stitzel Weller. Was it, was it opened? Or No, he opened it that day. Oh, so wow. the, the one thing he had to do was he ran it through a light filter because the cork started to de- disintegrate oh. when he opened it. So it could have changed it a slight, but probably nothing, mm. anything too much. But that, was, that was fun to drink a really old bottle. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. A podcast about bourbon and the ones who drink it. This is Bourbon Matters. Welcome to Bourbon Matters. I'm Jake. I'm Dan. I'm Jake. (laughs) New Jake. (laughs) So getting used to the new seat. Yeah. (laughs) So we've got some bad news and some good news. Uh, the bad news, news is that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bad news is that uh, due to some scheduling conflicts, Roberto's going to be out for a while. Um, but the good news is that uh, Jake Segelnik from Gold Eagle has decided to join the podcast permanently, which we're really excited about. So I'm welcome. very excited. After, yeah, thank you for having about me. about eight guest appearances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like four or five, but I'm here. I'm here full time now. <laughs> the, the fans wanted me to yeah, be so... on here, so I had to listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, your following does bring more listens to our podcast. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's good. <laughs> yeah, if you thought we talked about Gold Eagle a lot before, just wait. <laughs> no, yeah, just wait. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. <laughs> every single barrel pick every week we pushed on this podcast to its extent <laughs> i'm not gonna be upset about that <laughs> um so yeah we got a a couple uh news articles that we want to bring up that fit our theme this week um and dan will kind of elaborate on that after i read these how much have we advanced that we now have themes to an episode um well, we did it like, out there's of almost like really. <laughs> yeah, I there's feel like, I feel like, like you half... have to have a, a theme. There's there's like a half-assed attempt at organization going on these yeah. days. I mean, it, it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, first article uh, from Forbes. American whiskey salvaged from 170-year-old shipwreck could be worth millions. Um, so, there's a category of scotch called sunken scotch which are barrels of scotch uh, saved from shipwrecks. And these go for absurd amounts of money. Um, and they recently found one um, in a shipwreck, a, uh, 
I think it's a couple barrels. Um, that uh, a bunch of barrels, like two hundred and seventy or something. Yeah. Um, so they discovered the wreckage of the Westmoreland in twenty ten. Uh, which is 200 feet below the surface in Platte Bay, Michigan. Uh, it sank on December uh, in 1854, so it's been down there for a very long time. Wow. Um, and it's also one of the best-preserved shipwrecks of the 19th century, which is pretty neat. Um, and like Dan said, it's chock full of bourbon, uh, 280 barrels. Um so in 2001, a single bottle of scotch salvaged from the SS politician, and that's a bottle, not even like a barrel. It was just a glass yeah, bottle in a bottle. ship. Sold for 12,925 pounds. Um, so they're estimating that 280 barrels could provide somewhere around 56,000 bottles. Um, which, if you equate that with that bottle of scotch that sold, it could be worth upwards of $871 million, uh, which is insane. insane. <laughs> so, they, so they found the ship with bourbon? We know it's bourbon, or is it whiskey? Yeah, so it's... Whiskey. It's, uh, I thought it was bourbon. I, I, all I remember is it said American whiskey on it. Because uh, I, I don't know how you would be able to tell either way. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, let's see. It just says barrels worth of whiskey. Okay, so maybe and so it was it was eighteen fifty or something. Was I don't even think bourbon 1854, was eighteen fifty four. Yeah, it wouldn't have its own designation. So, right, yeah. It would have just been American whiskey. But uh, so they found barrels full, and there was no leakage or anything. Or they don't they don't know if it's yeah. full. That was the best gotcha. case scenario. So the the one thing you won't have to worry about will be a lot of evaporation loss. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> When you're surrounded by water, you're not going to have uh, much evaporation. But if the barrels leaked, then yeah, you're not going to have crap. But obviously, if it's it's happened before, especially over in Scotland, um, where they found full barrels in there, so it's definitely possible that a lot of them still have lots of whiskey. Yeah. So uh, the diver that discovered it, Ross Richardson, um, I believe, is the one that's claiming possession. Um, so he's actually going to partner with uh, Traverse City mm. uh, to have the whiskey like analyzed once they harvest it, um, and then they should be able to get at least some idea of like the mash bill or maybe grains that were used based on like genetic data from the the corn and whatever grains are in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to like keep an eye on and see what was actually in there um because it could be something really cool like you know uh, i mean i think anything in there is going to be very cool yeah just the fact that you found what we found whiskey from the 1800s and it was under underwater and it's still intact and maybe still drinkable yeah the the unique thing that's going to be from this is corn was a lot different in the 1800s right so it's going to have a completely different flavor profile to it no matter what just because it's going to be a very different grain that was used in yeah it. um and the cool factor is insane i mean that's 
if you're paying $13,000 per bottle, you're buying it because it's cool. The question is not if you would buy one or not. Would you drink it if someone gave it to you? Do you think whiskey that's been sitting in a lake for over 200 years is going to be good at all or not? If I bought one, one, probably not. But if somebody offered me a taste, I would say yes. <laughs> I, I think I'm the same. I, w- I would definitely drink if someone offered it to yeah. me. I don't think I'd have very high expectations for it. Probably not. I mean, I just, you got to assume that it ate maybe aged for like a couple years before they put it on the ship. And then it's been sitting there and like how much wood penetration is actually happening at the bottom of Lake Michigan, presumably. <laughs> like probably not that right. much. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to have the climate variations where you're going to get the hot and the heating and the cooling to get it in and out of the barrel. Right. But at the same point, it's been touching charred or been touching wood for yeah that's not as bad (laughs) (laughs) for a couple hundred years so you would think it would pick up some uh, decent amount of flavor just from time yeah i mean even without and it might it might be at the point where it's just like way too much though but i mean yeah jake what's the oldest whiskey you've had we've talked about it before i think in the 18 or 20 years is the oldest i've had if you had anything older Uh, i know i've had like a 40 year scotch um i'd have to think hard on this one on what the oldest ever was but off the top of my head uh i think yeah 40 what's the flavor profile like it wasn't it it wasn't as oaky as i would think um you know being mostly uh a a bourbon drinker uh lately you know you obviously get a lot more oak with older bourbons and when i say old bourbon i mean like 15 years 20 years is an old bourbon um but scotch i mean you, you can have 60 70 uh, year old scotches obviously going to be very expensive and harder to find but the aging process is a lot slower in Scotland so it's it's I wouldn't I would probably say it wasn't as oaky as I was expecting um, but yeah the de- the amount of depth that's in there that's what really shined hmm. so maybe it will taste good yeah. it could I don't know I mean, but that's lottery. that's very old I don't know um, yeah. and there's a lot of, a lot of factors in play. Like not only is it that old, but it was underwater the whole time. Uh, I, just like thinking about it, I just can't see how none, like there's no like saltiness or anything that could have leaked in or out. Um, it's, I mean, it wouldn't have any, what much saltiness. Should, or sure. yeah, there's fresh water, fresh water. Yeah. Um, but just they like say though, I mean. It's, it's northern Michigan, so it's going to be a cooler environment. Yeah. And that couple hundred feet deep, usually when stuff's in a cool, pressurized environment like that, it preserves pretty well. Yeah. And do we know anything but, about the barrels and how the barrels were made back then? No. No. And they're probably not, were not say, charred. I'm not. I, I, yeah, I was going to say something about charred oak because we were talking about. Yeah, first, charring said, started oh, in like the early 1900s. Yeah, that was what possibly Elijah Craig right. is the first one that did that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're uh, all American single malt. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Check out our episode Perfect. from last week. Where we talk about American single Perfect malt. Perfect gateway. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, all right. So moving on to the next article is like a complete 180. Um, <laughs> uh, this one's from Maxim, Dan's favorite magazine. Uh, so uh, Mystic from North Carolina is going to be sending barrels up into space to age. That's what I was going to ask about if we were going to cover that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, they're partnering with, I think, SpaceX mm-hmm. and a couple other groups um, to launch these barrels up into space. It, I don't believe it says how long they're supposed a to year. be there. Is it a year? They're going to leave them in low Earth orbit for a year. Wow. Okay. Um, so they're saying that uh, you have to purchase it as an NFT first for seventy-five grand, um, and then I'm assuming when it comes back down, you exchange your NFT for the, the bottle or whatever. Um, it looks like they're only going to do a thousand bottles at most, depending on what they can like pull out or harvest at, you know at the end um yeah but uh yeah this is uh the pinnacle of what our topic is tonight which is gimmick whiskeys <laughs> um, can't top that so i i don't know what this is actually like the space one's kind of interesting um is it it actually should be a similar environment to like the shipwreck because there's not going to be a whole bunch of moisture, um, so you're not going to get a bunch of evaporation. No um, oxygen. I don't know how much aging you're, like benefit you're going to get out of one year, you know? Um, but See, like, that's, that's what I was trying to think about, and I'm, I'm a big space nerd, but a lot of my space science is not up to par, but from just from videos like of watching astronauts in space inside the space station and stuff, like, it seems like water just amasses together and holds its own shape. Right. From what I've seen. So I don't know if it's going to be get much in and out of a barrel if its natural tendency is to attract to each other instead of other things. Right. You yeah, know, I just that's think a good like, point. Yeah, how much what was wood the, contact are you really going to get in the barrel? Yeah. You know? Like, what was it, Passengers, the movie, when the pool, when the gravity thing went away and the pool... Water just like made a big ball. I'm guessing that's what space is like. That movie passengers. <laughs> Chris Chris Pratt wouldn't do a movie where he lied. <laughs> that that's my first thing. That I mean, it sounds like it's a crazy amount for a bottle because oh, it yeah. is. But when you look at SpaceX's cost to launch into space, it's a little under two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for a hundred pounds. And 100 pounds is just a 53-gallon barrel weight empty. Mm-hmm. Full, it's going to be over 500 pounds. I mean, you're talking per barrel a few million dollars just to set it up for a year. So and that's probably only the beginning of the cost. Yeah. 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 Um, and we were talking about it. I was talking about it with some other people uh, of just the cost and that they're spending to send us to space. And it's like the amount of money they're charging for a bottle, we kind of tried to do the rough math and it didn't seem like they would make that much off of it. But at the same point is how many people are now talking about mystic whiskey, sending whiskey into space, which is a marketing cost at the end of the day. Yeah. 
So are they sending something up for the sole purpose of holding this whiskey? Or is it like being attached onto a, some kind of mission that's already happening? They don't say, yeah. but the amount of weight, because I think there's, did they, was it four or five barrels or something five. they're sending up? Five. So, I mean, that's a pretty heavy payload already yeah. to piggyback on somebody else's, which I guess if someone shoot, they're just going to be in low Earth orbit. So if someone's shooting up a satellite, uh, one, a couple small satellites, they could probably piggyback on that and keep the cost lower. But it's still going to be insane. Yeah. What happens if the rocket blows up? <laughs> yeah. Alcohol's not flammable, so it'll probably be... <laughs> It's. I will say one thing. The bottle looks really cool that they're gonna put. Yeah, it better this. if you're like, paying seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah, and they're yeah. also giving you a fifty milliliter sample, right? I believe they were doing something where you could taste it without having to open the yeah. bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's because cool. it would just be. Oh wow, that is very cool. Yeah. yeah. It. Uh, I mean, they made it look like a spaceship. Yeah, it kind of looks like. Um... Uh, it kind of looks like the, like the top of the Falcon Heavy. Um, yeah. Then it kind of flares out near the bottom, just for people just listening. It it almost looks kind of like the Dragon capsule at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, which better that they designed it after SpaceX looked versus Jeff Bezos's rocket? Because otherwise, <laughs> it's different, yeah, different shape to it, which might not be great press. Um. So yeah. So. Th- uh, Dan, do you want to take us into the world of gimmick whiskeys now that we've set yes. the stage with those two articles? <laughs> so, it, yeah, there's there's whiskeys and some of the stuff out there, you'll see it and you're like, I can definitely tell that that's a gimmick or I don't think that's that's going to add much difference to the whiskey. But at the same point, I wanted to, I, I wanted to find a way to define gimmick. Um, so I think the way we're going to do that is anything that's not what you would normally get from a whiskey or normally think of from a whiskey. So the normal whiskey rules off distill at 160 or less proof in a barrel at less than 125 proof, usually made with either corn, rye, wheat, malted barley, a mixture of those ingredients are the main four grains that you're going to use. Um, it's going to be aged in new Kentucky oak charred barrels. And that's basically anything and then finished for two to four to whatever years. Mm-hmm. So that's what a normal whiskey is. So I, I think for ease of this, we kind of say anything that doesn't follow all of those rules or deviates from those rules in a step would be something we can consider a gimmick. Sure. And then it's do some of these things help the industry, hurt the industry? Are they good? Are they bad or not? So when I'm trying to think of gimmicks, and I think some of the first things uh, we think of uh, and the one I roll my eyes at the most is celebrity endorsements of how many celebrities are just jumping on the bandwagon um, with their endorsement or their own style of whiskey or their own brand of whiskey yeah. um, is gimmick because it's something that not a lot of other places have. Uh, some other gimmicks would be unusual grains and mash bills. Um, we talked about this at work is technically whiskey acres. Some of their stuff could be considered gimmick. Cause like our blue popcorn falls outside of most people don't use that as a grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're seeing a, I, I was just going to say, I don't know. It's cause I feel like that's more like experimental. 
Um, mm-hmm. And like just working in a liquor store all day, I hear customers talk about certain products and say, oh, that's a gimmick. That's a gimmick. Um, so like my, I'm kind of going off of like what I've heard people say is a gimmick whiskey. Cause I guess it's all opinionated, right? Like there's not yeah, really like yeah, a, the end of the day it is. we can follow something in certain guidelines, but there's no like definitive definition, uh, or law on what is a gimmick and what's not, but right. yeah, it's the, and, and grains too. I, I think grains are, we'll talk about some of the most, some of the good things about this. I think that's one of the better areas is people are a lot experimenting a lot more with the grains to stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, using, uh, unusual barrels, uh, outside of your Kentucky Oak, uh, or just American, Oak. Kentucky Oak, but American Oak, American white Oak, uh, Different finishing techniques, and the one I'm drinking tonight, we'll talk about one of their finishing techniques. The best. Uh, or the even... best ever. <laughs> uh, and, and those are kind of the big things that I'm thinking of. And then, I mean, some people could say, like, Taylor putting their bottle in a tube is a gimmick, mm-hmm. but that kind of falls in line with, I mean, that's a big Irish and Scotch thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just things that are outside of the norm. Um, and actually the first whiskey we ever did on our podcast was a gimmick whiskey. Technically yeah. it was American highway, which is, uh, a rolling Rick house that follows Brad Paisley around on tour. Uh, and, and they age that way saying that it goes through all these different climates and things, but it's, it's just a way to stand out now. Exactly. It's a way to stand out. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess off that, are, do you guys think gimmicks are good for the industry or bad for the industry? Or what are some of your thoughts on some of the different gimmicks that you think of and is it helpful or not? It's, I, I think it depends on the end product. Um, like right now I'm drinking Jefferson Ocean. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it in, the, in, a, in a little bit, but it's... Um, you know, honestly, not that different from like the regular baseline Jefferson, um, in terms of like how it tastes. So, like, I I don't think it adds anything of value. Um, but like, uh, it's easy to say that for the Jefferson because there's actually like a true baseline to compare it to. Where like the American mm-hmm. Highway, there isn't really a baseline to compare it to. Um, so it's hard to say if that adds anything or not. Um, but you know, like uh, Jake's going to talk about Oak and Eden um, in a little bit, and like those actually, they're uh, what do they call it? The flavor spires. Yeah, so it's in bottle finishing. Uh, there's like an actual oak stave in the bottle. And for the record, I actually don't believe Oak and Eden is a gimmick whiskey, but. Uh, that's probably the number one whiskey that I've heard people come into the store and say, oh, that's a gimmick, That that's a gimmick, that doesn't do anything, um, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason why I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I do yeah. think gimmick whiskeys are great for the industry. Um, they might not be great for people like us who uh, know a little bit more than the average person, 
but one, it gets people to try new things and it also introduces people to the whiskey industry that might not have been in it before because I'm sure Brad Paisley's fans are out there searching for the bourbon, uh, even if they don't want to drink it. They want a bottle to put on their shelf and display um, or maybe they do want to drink it uh, while they're tailgating for one of his concerts. Um, so I think it's... I think it's- they want that. They want that bottle right next to their pink cowgirl. Hat. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It just it it draws attention and it's it's makes it. I think it makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's good, especially within the last five ten years. There's so much new whiskey that hits the market every year. You need to be creative. So to not have yeah something that just falls in line with all the other norms. If you're gonna go head to head and compete with. Uh, Heaven Hill or Buffalo Trace or things like that, you're not going to do it without something unique unless you have the best whiskey that's ever been invented coming out. Um, some of the experimental stuff that's going on comes out is a way to stand out, and then you're starting to see other people copy some of those things. Yeah. And that's it might have started out as a gimmick, but it's now changing the industry, which is good to have something that's new and exciting on the market. Um, I think it's good for the innovation standpoint. Uh, I, I get, I think mine that I dislike the most is a celebrity endorsement whiskey. Cause it's, some, some people are truly whiskey advocates that have been in this for a long time. But then you see a lot more anymore, uh, or a lot more of people just- Name names. I'm gonna say, no, <laughs> name names. Because you know what, Jake? We might make it someday. And by golly, if some of these people won't want to come on our podcast because I talk shit in episode 50 or whatever number this is, then I'm not going to throw, my, I'm not gonna throw anyone under the bus. But, I mean, it's – at the same point, Jake, it's got to be good for stores, though, too, because I know you guys get those celebrities to come into the stores uh, that give your store credit at quite a bit, so it helps stores. Yeah. So I'm not going to say it's bad for a lot of reasons. No, yeah, I mean, that's another but, point, too. Like, it's um... – you know, like I said, it's turning more people on to the industry and uh, mm-hmm. getting people excited about drinking craft whiskey. I, I will say, though, my favorite celebrity whiskey that I've seen is still the one. I got to get the bottle at Sam's sometime. The Barry Manilow whiskey that's called Barrel Manilow yeah. and it has a tag on it that says Barrel Manilow. <laughs> Never and heard of that I think that's the one. most creative one I've seen. Uh, yeah, what is it? Um I don't even I know what it remember. is, but I just know it has like a collar necklace that says Barrel Manilow yeah. on it, and it's uh, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> and you know um, you're you know you're paying an, an additional twenty five to fifty percent just to put money in that celebrity's pocket too when you're buying most of these yeah. celebrity endorsed products. That's the part that I don't like is like you know that product is not worth what it is on the shelf, but that celebrity needed to get their cut out of it right yeah well that's uh one of my gripes with the jefferson ocean is that it's like significantly more expensive than the baseline bourbon um and i like i said like i don't see any value in shipping it and around in the ocean (laughs) like at all the (laughs) aging process um so like i've got my so i've got voyage 23 uh is my bottle uh, so it says that it left at noon under clear skies in the spring en route to the Panama Canal, um, leaving from Savannah, Georgia. 
Um, it went through the Panama Canal, uh, made it all the way to Tahiti. Oh, so it followed you. Yeah. No. This one's really old. You followed it. <laughs> um, but it, I don't, it doesn't say how long it actually spent. I think they're usually right around nine months. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's like a decent amount of time, but not so long that it's, like, going to have, like, a huge impact on anything, I don't, you know, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of the, like, gimmicky whiskeys, I think this is the least impressive. <laughs> Um, especially because they t significantly tack on an adder for having to do it, you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it pretty yeah, much. Yeah, you gotta pay the fuel costs. Oh yeah, there's a lot of costs with shipping stuff, um, especially when you're just driving mm -hmm. around. But um, yeah, that would be a good side by side, putting that up against the Reserve, which is their six to ten year blend, because um, yeah. the Ocean is, I believe, like an eight to ten year. Uh, but the reserve is very good, and it's thirty bucks yeah. cheaper on the shelf than the ocean. Yeah. yeah, and like you can find it anywhere. Like, right. and you can find the ocean pretty much anywhere too. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the other aspect of the ocean is the different voyages that they kind of treat almost like batches, um, yeah, or like vintages, yeah. you know, or whatever. So like, if you're like you know a Jefferson collector or something, then like maybe add some kind of value for you personally. But yeah, for me, I don't think I'll ever get another one. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, it's it's like for people that are just getting into bourbon, they like a smooth pour, like Blanton's lovers. Um, mm -hmm. Their upgrade will be to like Jefferson's Ocean because uh, that ninety proof. It's not really meant for the connoisseur anyway. Yeah. Um, and we kind of know better with uh, those types of gimmicks. So, yeah, they just came out with a uh, Gosling's rum, aged at sea. Same same company that owns both those oh. brands. Okay. And we just got the Gosling's rum, so they're they're all in on that, aged at yeah. sea. Yeah, it's. I I don't know. I I think when I think of gimmicks, that was one of the first I thought of. Uh, I I like just the normal Jefferson. Uh, uh, Jefferson Reserve. Yeah. Uh, for mm -hmm. thirty-five bucks, I like it. I think it's a really good thirty-five dollar whiskey or forty dollars or wherever it's at. But I tried the Ocean at your place, Jake, and I, I wasn't a fan of it. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't taste. I mean, it had a different. I will say, if I remember correctly, I might have had a couple of that night. Uh, if I mm -hmm. remember it correctly, it had a decent a difference in flavor, but I don't think I was a big fan of it. And then it was more expensive. And yeah, I, I mean, if, if you're looking for an upgrade to the regular Jefferson's Reserve, like, any one of their barrel finishes are excellent and, like, definitely worth the, the extra cost, mm -hmm. where, like, the ocean just isn't. Yeah, I, I would say that, because I, I love the Twin Oak. Yeah. I've had the Pritchard Hill finish cask. The, and I like that. The rum finish rye yeah. is unbelievable. And then the, there's a cognac finish bourbon, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, all, all of them are excellent. So They also came out with the Ocean Rye. Yeah, I got a bottle of that, too. I haven't opened it. Did you? <laughs> I, I, like, I like the Jefferson Rye. I, don't, I haven't tried the Ocean Rye, but I, I, Jefferson Rye was one of the first ryes that I enjoyed. 
Yeah, so it's I started really it's it's the ocean rye has a little more going on than the regular ocean because it is a double oak as well, um, in their sourcing. So it's it's tastes very different than their bourbon. Has like a little bit of minty vibe going on. I will. I can go next. Uh, mine definitely does not have a gimmick at all to it. Uh, we've done some blackened on the on the podcast before, uh, but blackened is Metallica's whiskey. Uh, this one is the blackened with crossed with Willet, uh, which is I I think you consider some blends and cross like there's a lot of people that are crossing different distilleries uh, whiskeys now. I'm seeing that as more and more of an up and coming trend mm-hmm. of doing blends throughout multiple distilleries. Uh, and this was a collaboration with Willet. Um, well, I got this bottle down in Florida, and Jake, I think you would be happy with me, I because I'm trying not to be that guy when I go to liquor stores. So I was at a liquor store in Florida, and I was looking around, and the guy asked if I was looking for anything. And I had decided in my head that I was not going to say anything that was heavily allocated. So I just go, I for I have no idea why. It's like, ah, I was looking for a blackened Willet. <laughs> oh, I think I have one in the back. <laughs> he comes out with a black and will it up. My thought was I was going to ask him for something a little more unique and see where the conversation led. He's like, oh, I think I got one. And it, and so like, that's how you I found that like almost a year after it was released, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, which is pretty incredible because I believe it was a one time only release. Like, yeah, it was. Very limited. Yeah. So. That well, he must have just really been find. holding on to it and probably realized it's not going to be worth much. No, I, so. I, I yeah, I think that must have been what it. But yeah, he uh, it was fun. It was funny that I just took a random stab mm-hmm. in the dark just to get the conversation rolling. I would have been like, well, if you have that in the back, what else do you have in the back? Yeah, <laughs> I was, was going to push it. Yeah. So, um, plus, I had to bring it back from Florida, and I right. had a pretty full suitcase, so it's less bottles the better. Uh, why some people consider Blackened to be a gimmick is that their big thing is not that they had a cross with Willet, but they, their aging process, they use their black noise finishing technology, which is in the Rick house, they blare Metallica songs to. And we talked about this when we did Ride the Lightning, and that one they played a live album of Ride the Lightning. You can go on and see what sound, what playlist was playing as this was aging. I didn't. I didn't care. Because um, I don't think it does too much. They're saying that the Metallica sound waves go in and out of the barrels and help draw the whiskey in and out and, and change all the flavor. Could could sound waves help with, with barrel penetration? Possibly, but they could have played fucking Weezer and this probably still tastes the exact same. I don't think there's going to be that much difference from one band to the next. Um, so, I... I it, it, but it's part of the thing. I mean, it's a Metallica whiskey. So one, it's a celebrity whiskey. Two, it's also got a a black noise technology that they use. At the end of the day, it's good whiskey. Uh, it would be fun to try one that wasn't aged in a Rick House blaring Metallica to see if there is any difference to do a side by side. They don't do that. Um, the Willet Cross is a really good whiskey. It's I wasn't. I don't like the normal black in that much. I really like the Ride of Lightning, and this is a cross uh, with Willet. It's cast strength at 109.6 proof. Uh, they don't disclose the age statement of the mash bill or anything. Uh, 
I'm pretty sure it was distilled by Willet too, right? Yeah, it was distilled by Willet and then finished at Sweet Amber Distilling. Hmm. I could have probably done some more research. <laughs> but bottled I by Willet Distillery. Uh, finished and bottled by Sweet Amber Distillery. That one, uh, uh, that one had a lot of hype around it when it came out, and I think that not because of the metallica factor um but more so because it was distilled by willet and at that time uh there were any of their own whiskeys were very hard to find Mm -hmm. and i think i can't remember if it was this one or if it was the ride of lightning which was the one of the ones that they didn't have for the first without uh dave pickerel's name on it because he had passed and rob dietrich had taken over as their it was ride the lightning i think yeah so rob's got his name on this one and then uh, I cannot read the other signature, but I'm guessing it's the master from Willet is on here. Um, Drew? Possibly, but yeah, it looks like it's uh, e, Drew. It like it's Drew Colesbean? Mm-hmm. No, that's that's not the last name. No? No. Huh. I'll have to look it up. I should have done research. Like, I, I put the outline together. I went that far, but I didn't just go all is the way Is it Rob Dietrich? Rob Dietrich's the guy from Black. Yeah. Yeah, it's the other guy I'm trying to figure okay. out. Uh, I'm looking at the playlist that uh, was played for the for that bottle, and it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> it must be good whiskey. I'm yeah, I'm a believer make... in the in the black sound technology. <laughs> black noise, black, black noise. noise. I think I think it might be trademarked too. It is trademarked. Yes, give it, give them their due for the trademarking of it. Um, but but the, like I said, the the normal black and I wasn't a big fan of. Uh, but the ride of lightning in this cross with Willet was was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think they said this is probably, it's oh it was, whiskey as old as eight years in it, but on average probably six and a half is what the kind of, according to Breaking Bourbon. But uh, are we are we assuming that it's MGP unless it's this one specifically? Black yeah. One? I don't know if we know where it's sourced from, right? I don't. I. I don't think I have. I don't have the Ride the Lightning bottle. Every I've, I've bought two bottles of Ride the Lightning, and I don't have any of them because they went to a friend. Yeah, I don't know a hundred percent, but I would assume so. I mean, it, it would say on the bottle where it was distilled, right? Right. Yeah. I'm looking real quick. But I mean, it's it makes it stand out, but. At least this is a celebrity whiskey that also has something different besides it, besides just a celebrity's name on it. Oh, uh, like, it's uh, Sweet Amber. Yeah, that's out of New York. That's where they yeah. bottled, or finished and bottled out of there. They uh, um, they do the... Oh, let's see. It says, uh, oh, well, the blending and any well, cast and this one was fi- this was finished in Madeira as well. I should have said that. I oh, should have okay. really done some work. This was, it has a Madeira cask finish on it, too. Um, but it looks like their warehouse is in Columbus, where they do the blending and any finishing stuff. So nice. Yeah. But yeah, if, if you come across a black and Willet, they're not. There's not many out there. It's a good pickup. Yeah, but, it's not too uh, expensive either. It was like seventy, seventy-five. No, it was like one, I got mine at one twenty. Oh, that's pretty high right. though. Um, and I think when you on uh, Breaking Bourbon has the MSRP as one forty in twenty twenty one. Oh really? So 
I'm guessing mine was cheaper because I got it in Florida. Huh, I don't maybe. know. I don't, I don't remember paying that much for mine. I also got it in Cocoa, Florida, which isn't necessarily the most high-end clientele. All the time, <laughs> not Cocoa Beach, Cocoa. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, Jake, do you want to talk about Oak and Eden? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So Oak and Eden, distillery out of Texas. Uh, there is a floating piece of oak inside the bottle which is probably why we get uh, so many people that come into the store and say, oh, that's a gimmick, that's a gimmick, there's a little piece of wood in there. Yeah, look at Jake's bottle, it's empty. Um, if, if It depends, I guess, on what definition you're using for gimmick, if this is a gimmick or not. Uh, but to the point about the Jefferson's Ocean tasting nearly the same as the Reserve, um, this is clearly not a gimmick because they're using four-year MGP bourbon and putting some kind of different oak. They have over a hundred different possibilities or combinations that you can do with types of wood. What kind of uh, you know they do wood soaked in coffee, wood soaked in cabernet, um, all these different types of combinations that you can use. And it's not like they're taking uh, white dog or unaged bourbon putting the piece of oak in there they're taking four-year-old mgp that's ready to be bottled could be bottled on its own and then just using the wood spiral to kind of finish it and give it another touch and when you taste different oak and edens they taste very very different from each other Uh, there isn't a single one that tastes similar so the bottle that i'm sipping right now is amburana oak wood spiral uh, with four-year um, traditional MGP bourbon mash bill. So if you've ever had Amberana Oak, um, you would probably pick this up just by when you open the bottle or smelling that this is finished in Amberana Oak. It gives off a very cinnamon type of flavor, uh, a lot of like cheesecake, sweetness, apple pie, uh, crumb cake. Uh, it's dessert in a glass, and once you pour this bottle or anything finishing amber on oak into a glass you need to put this glass through the dishwasher twice before you use it again it's that potent the whole room smells like amberana um so this particular bottle um is a barrel pick that we did with the adventures club it's going to be released on friday i've been giving some people uh blind tastes of it as they come into the bar and I think I'm like 12 for 13 for people that have tasted and bought a bottle. And it's for sure one that you need to taste before you buy because of how different it is. Um, and you need to go into it with an open mind because I think a lot of bourbon connoisseurs, they see that oak spiral sitting in the bottle and they automatically make up their mind that they don't like it uh, because maybe they think it's a gimmick whiskey. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know, Jake. What do you think? You you've been sipping on this for a little bit, too. Yeah, so I mean, we went to um, an Okanagan masterclass at the store. Um, I think it was last summer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like it, I, you know, went in not expecting all that much, um, but I think I walked away with five or six bottles because <laughs> um, <laughs> ev- almost everything we tried was excellent. Um, and they're at the, the co- right price too. Yeah, and they're they're very affordable um, in terms of like finished whiskeys, um, and the I mean, the 
the coffee finish was unbelievable. Um, the I've got uh, your store your first store pick, um, which is basically like a double oaked rye, right? Yeah, it's with a, a like a toasted finish rye. Yeah, which is excellent as well. Um, I got the the rum finished rye and um, another rye. Uh, this one's charred oak. So another like double oaked rye almost. Um, and I, I like I was very impressed with with what they're what they're doing there. Um, and uh, I was actually at an event last night at Gold Eagle, uh, and Jake poured me this Amberana just to get my opinion on it, and uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, though, like Jake said, it's all kinds of dessert flavors. Um, like right now, my whole office smells like snickerdoodle cookies baking. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's excellent. Uh, it's it's I mean, it is very different. So if you're not very into different. that like dessert kind of profile, like it might it might not float your boat. But like mm-hmm. it's a very nice shake up, I think, from like the traditional bourbon flavors. Yeah, and this is uh, the, that's the Amberana oak mostly coming through, which is I don't it's it's a Brazilian wood. The trees grow like all kind of crooked, um, so it's very very hard to make a barrel out of them. But if you're familiar with Starlight Cigar Batch, uh, they're the ones that kind of put Amberana wood on the map uh, with their cigar batch is just finished just in Amberana barrels. And uh, like I said, it's very distinct, very unique. Uh, I was kind of looking up a little bit about Amberana earlier, and it like got discovered and came to the U.S. for finishing whiskeys in 2012, so it's fairly new. Um, and yeah, like I said, because the trees grow so crooked, it's very difficult to build a barrel out of them, which is why uh, this approach is a lot more practical to just put a little yeah. spiral inside the bottle mm-hmm. to finish. Yeah, yeah, and I think one thing with Oak and Eden is, like, like the the black or the black noise technology and the ocean technology or ocean finishing stuff. I don't think it does that much. The one thing with those fires is it does change the flavor quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and the other cool thing with Oak and Eden is you can basically customize your own whiskey now. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you can get, you can pick. I think that you can do it on their website, right? Where you can go and I'm not sure if it shifts everywhere, but I know like you can pick the the type of whiskey you want and then type the type of spire you want in mm-hmm. it and order. It's very can becoming very customizable, especially for store picks and things like that, which makes things very unique. Um, and I, I weren't they they're putting together like a flagship store outside of Dallas, I think, right? Um, where, like, the I th- intent I th- is you can go in, like, build your own bottle in, mm-hmm. in the store and then, like, walk I out think, with I it. I think they have that already, and I think he was the, okay. the... I think the rep was talking about, like, they're going to hopefully build a place like that somewhere in Chicago or Illinois. That's right, yeah. Where you can go and taste. So, yeah, so they have, like, they predominantly use mgp so they have all these different mgp mash bills you taste through the bourbon at four years pick which one you want um you know they have weeded they have bourbon and then they have rye and then you pick what kind of oak you want 
and then you pick what kind of toast you want or char that you want on the oak and then you pick the proof you can do barrel proof you can do 90 proof um, so I think that is super cool to kind of just give people uh, the everyday person an opportunity to essentially pick up their own barrel without having to buy an entire barrel yeah yeah and I mean for there's places I know there's distilleries now that have like you can go in and make your own gin and take home your small little thing of gin or vodka or things dancing goat you can do yeah dancing goat because you can do that in a day where you can't make a finished whiskey or a, a, a full whiskey in a day. It takes a decent amount of time to get there, which for to have like a class or being able to go into a store and basically walk out with your own whiskey that no one's going to have that's going to taste anything like it is, is a unique thing, which is kind of, I, I think that's more of a industry disruptor than anything else. Yeah. I, I think the spy. I, I like the spire idea. I, I like said that's one of the few things that we're talking about that actually does make a big difference on the flavor and on the on the on the whiskey itself. Um, but I, I think the cooler thing and, and the more of what I, I guess I don't know if it's really con- considered a gimmick or not. But the whole you can come in and make your own whiskey is a really cool twist on your normal experience for buying whiskey. Yeah, yeah. On their website, they they talk a lot about like innovation and ingenuity um so i I think it's definitely um a successful um like dan said disruptor to the industry um it's pretty neat um it does exactly what it's meant to do (laughs) which is like um you know if it is a gimmick whiskey it's an extremely successful gimmick (laughs) Where, you know, like uh, some of the others we talked about tonight maybe are not. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they're making really cool stuff. So yeah, it's definitely yeah, worth and checking it, out. It also goes back to if you want to start a whiskey brand and you want to compete with Buffalo Trace, Heaven Hill, um, you can't you can't do that by just distilling bourbon because the amount of time it takes for the bourbon to age and then to adjust and then to age and then to adjust and then to age uh by the time you get your perfect bourbon you're going to be ready to retire and this is kind of a quick way to uh you know build a build a following build a brand um and just doing something different uh there's so many distilleries out there and i think nowadays to stand out and survive you really need to do something different to attract people to your brand and it's only going to get harder, too, because there's so many more distilleries out there now than there were 15, 20 years right. ago. And on top of that, all your big guys are doubling production. Right. So the market's just going to be flooded. Uh, so now is kind of your last chance to get in with something unique before all their double production starts to hit. Because if you can if you can walk into a store and buy Pappy whenever you want for retail, it's really going to put, put an entrance <laughs> on a lot of the new startups. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, too, it, it's nice to see new things. Uh, you can't hate on people for trying something new or for trying to make their whiskey stand out. Yeah. And, I mean, some of these things, blackened, you're going to get a lot of Metallica fans that will just drink blackened whiskey because it's Metallica's whiskey. Um, and it's, it's a good whiskey, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a believer. <laughs> 
I'm trying to make a bad Metallica pun, but I'm not. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> I made one on the Ride of Lightning one, so I'm not going to yeah. go there for this one. <laughs> but, well, cool. Um, definitely something different. Um, you need to see what's going on. It, this kind of gave us a nice little look and to see what other things are going on in the industry, too. Uh, I, I think of all, the, like I said, of all the things we talked about and all the things you think of when people say the word gimmick, uh, Oak and Eden's got the thing that changes everything the most, where it's not just a look at me, I'm a wood spire in a, in a bottle. It, it does make a massive difference on the flavor of the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's some things that, there's other things that do that. I mean, different mash bills. I, I, one of the things I'm seeing more and more of, and Jake, you would, you would be able to say this more than I could. Like, I'm seeing a lot more of, like, malted rye and malted, other maltings going on and putting in, too. Like, it seems to be a new thing that's going rampant right now is just different types of, of malts going in. Yeah, um, I think that just goes back to distilleries just trying to do something different. And if you already have a good following with your whiskeys and you only have two or three SKUs, if you release something new uh, with good packaging, cool label, uh, people are going to chase after it and go for it. And a lot of these things that are being released as new additions to distilleries that are already established, uh, they don't have a lot of because... They don't, they don't know 10 years ago how this whiskey was going to turn out, so they kind of just distilled the minimal amount um, and let it, let it age and checked on it here and there. Uh, so once it was ready, and if they do decide that it's good enough to release, then uh, without blending and just releasing it on its own, they're not going to have a lot of it. So I think the supply and demand factors in there as well. Yeah. One of the things I've been seeing are like different strains of grains. Like New Riff has the Balboa rye, um, which is like mm-hmm. a particular strain of rye. Um, I feel like there's a couple others. I mean, like we talked about how uh, Whiskey Acres has the like blue popcorn and they, uh, the Bloody Butcher and the one Glass Gem. Glass Gem and the. Well, I, I, uh, I guess the one thing yeah. we talked about most that the, I guess probably the most gimmicky thing we'll have is going to be our own hybrid bourbon. Or hybrid corn bourbon, where it's our own corn that we propagated. Well, if it's good, yeah, but it's, yeah, I think that's 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 cool. I don't I don't know. Uh, I I would say that's more yeah. experimental than gimmicky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not going to be a lot of distilleries out there that decide to make their own variety of corn just mm-hmm. for their own whiskey. Now, question for you, Dan: When you guys are doing these different varietals of corn, are you using the same mash bill, just swapping the corn out? Uh, for the hybrid, we did use their same mash bill. Uh, I know we're going to start distilling glass gem. I haven't seen the mash bill on that, so I'm not sure if that was just a straight swap out or not. Because I um, think because that'd be very cool to like line those up yeah. if they are same the same mash bills and just see yeah. how the just to show people like the corn matters like going all the way back yeah. to what kind yeah. of corn you're using makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, I mean, that'll be easy for us to see because the hybrid corn and our normal yellow dent corn bourbon that we've had for a while are going to be the exact same mash bill. Uh, we did play around with a couple different strains of yeast. Uh, we did add some bacteria. So we played around a lot with this where every week we were adding a different step into, just into the fermentation just to see what type of flavors we get out of it. Um, and then we did throw a couple in some 25-gallon barrels just to be able to get it to age a little bit quicker to see the difference oh, nice. of it. But, uh, so, 
we did we did we did a lot of experimentation, but more on the on the fermentation side than the mash bill side. Yeah, one of the things I've been seeing too is uh, a lot of farm to table or farm to bottle stuff. You know, gaining prominence. I mean, Whiskey Acres was probably the first I had heard of, um, but there's been a few others um, that are starting to kind of pop up or, or at least promote themselves as that, um, which is interesting. I don't necessarily think that's a gimmick. I think that's like, uh, I would call that good quality control maybe. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. it's uh, Well, I mean, it, that's a big thing. That was a big thing when Scotch started too. There's still some big farm to table or mm-hmm. farm to finish Scotch, but. And you're just you're hitting a whole new, uh, you know, a whole new group of people that really enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just like want to support a local, smaller operation like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jake from Gold Eagle. Thank you for for becoming a member of the podcast. I'm honored. I. Uh, oh, one thing before we get into that. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jake. I'll stop you before you get to do your. Plan. <laughs> we never talked about. We crossed 1,300 followers on, on Instagram. Oh, yeah. So it's been a little over a year for us. We've had Instagram, and we've been on a tear lately. We've gone from 1,000 to 1,300 uh, pretty quickly. So uh, Generate has put in a lot of hard work in there. Roberto's helping out there now, too, since he can't be on the podcast as much. Yeah. Uh, but the following is growing, so we thank everybody for the, for the follows and the likes and the shares. Yeah. Um, but Jake from Gold Eagle, where are your Gold Eagle plug time? Instagram, Gold Eagle Wine, Facebook, Gold Eagle Spirits. Go to goldeaglewine.com and download our app from the links on the website. Uh, you can shop our entire inventory and uh, come pick up in the store. We deliver within 15 miles, and a little leaked secret is we are hoping to start shipping soon. So even if you're from out of state, uh, make sure you give us a follow and keep an eye on when that happens and, and the nice thing with the app too is you can get all the store picks on the app mm-hmm. uh, and you guys did have an awesome post the other day um talking about i think it was a picture of like all your different barrel picks that you've done yeah and talking about how some people are always trying to find these hard that's these a allocated bottles that's a new topic put that on the calendar yeah St- store barrels, <laughs> single barrels yeah. Sing- well single barrels or like you know tater chasers or whatever because yeah it's, <laughs> it's 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 always mind-blowing to me like every time we get buffalo trace eagle rare eh taylor there's such a a demand and a drive for it and like realistically there's no reason why that stuff's not going to be collecting dust and sitting on the shelf 10 years from now it's just being mass produced and um, I, I like your thing too. Of it's like a master distiller went through, selected these barrels, right. and then sent it out to the store owners. Which you guys have tasted a couple different types of whiskey in your in your mm-hmm. time as a as a liquor right. store. <laughs> so it's 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 not just that it passed a master distiller. It then went to someone that knows a lot about whiskey as well and said, "I like this one the most." And it's, yeah. you're getting a very uh, very very good bottle every time. Or it's or it's not just us you know like even if it's a store that you don't really trust all those barrels are pre-selected and set aside for a reason and then that store is picking from those barrels that their master distiller or master taster set aside to be bottled as a single barrel Mm -hmm. yeah 
So I, I just, there's so much more value in single barrels to me than anything yeah. anything blended, um, but especially something that's in the process of being mass produced. And yeah. it is. we did an episode about the Gold Eagle uh, Eagle Rare pick, right? Pretty yeah. sure. Um, and like, it's definitely noticeable the difference between the regular off-the-shelf Eagle Rare and the store pick in terms of the flavor profile. And it's like, um, I don't necessarily think I have a favorite between the two because they're both very good, but the the Gold Eagle pick was just good in like a very different way because the flavor profile was like just different enough that it gave it like a cool edge, you know? Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, too, is Eagle Rare is a single barrel. When you buy it off the shelf, it's not a blend. Um, oh, so I like you, Was it single? I thought it was a two-barrel blend. I think, I thought it was, was it? I thought it was single barrel. I could be wrong. I, th- I thought it was Even if it is. I know it's, I, it's very small. Mm-hmm. It's very Even small. if it is a two-barrel blend, um, I mean, you know, those are two select barrels that were set aside for a reason. Um, and I haven't, you know, if you, if you line up five different Eagle rares that you bought from different stores and they're not picks, they're just regular, I guarantee they taste completely different. If you do that with Buffalo Trace, I think that's a different story because they're much bigger blends. Um, and it should taste pretty, pretty on the dot every time. Uh, but with Eagle rare, I think that is, uh, they're going to be vastly different. Yeah. I've definitely noticed that with Blanton's. There's like oh yeah, Blanton's. Yeah. Oh yeah. You you can actually find some good bottles of Blanton's, uh, but it's gonna take a lot of a lot of tasting. And then once you do find one you like, good luck tracking down the rest of that barrel. Yeah. Uh, Jake, where can people find us on Instagram, Facebook, and podcast places? Uh, you can find us at Bourbon Matters or Bourbon Matters on Facebook. Um, you can go to our website, bourbonmatterspodcast.com. You can email us at bourbonmatters at gmail.com. Um, you can watch us on YouTube. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Nice. All right, guys. Well, that was fun going through a few different types of whiskeys that have something out of the ordinary with them. Um. So cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. I'm leaving for Kentucky at five in the morning tomorrow. <laughs> Gonna so, beat the snow. Cheers. Yeah. Yes, I will. <laughs>